Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show and find out how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe. Hey everyone, welcome to the August 22nd episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am your host. I'm Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, a board member and agent liaison for Pitch Wars and a library event planner. Uh, you can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking on the link in the description so you don't miss a show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pub Talk Live. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below. Um, it is patreon.com slash pubtalklive, and you can support the show for as little as $2 a month or $1 per episode. Um, <laughs> today has been a very long day. We might talk about it a little bit. Um, but basically, Caitlin and I have both been video broadcasting since 9.45 this morning. So, hey, everyone. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest co-host. Savannah Brooks joined the Jennifer D. Chiara, I just realized, I don't know how to say that name, team in 2018 as an associate literary agent. After interning for a year and a half, she focuses primarily in children's literature, representing picture books, middle grade, and young adult, both fiction and nonfiction, with the occasional adult commercial project thrown in. She earned her MFA focused in creative nonfiction from Hanline University and the BS, her BS in marketing management from Virginia Tech. As well as agenting, she works as a teaching artist at the Loft Literary Center and as a boxing, boxing instructor. So please welcome Savannah to the show. Hello. Hi. Boxing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I do mixed martial arts and yeah, I instruct boxing. That's really cool. Um, let's see who's here. We got some pubbers in the house. So um, late last year, some of my regular viewers, or maybe it was early this year, I'm not sure, um, named their themselves. Pubbers. So like, yeah. so if you see pubbers, that's what they're referring to. You have a whole like group name just for yourself. Yeah, I did. I know they did it like live while I was live on the show one time. And I was like, is it what's what's happening? Did they just <laughs> um, Heather's here? Hey, Heather, Victoria, Baker. Um, I'm so Jessica Baker comes on our weekly write-ins on Wednesday. And it's a long story, but we call her Ernie. So um, I almost said Ernie just there. Uh, Erica. Erica's with us earlier today. Cool. Uh, thanks, Lodestar. Yeah, I, sometimes I wear the red glasses on purpose because they match the curtain behind me. <laughs> it's nice. Your lighting is so nice. Mine is so thanks. dim. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I got some box lights when I started doing the show and they, they help a lot, but... Uh, they're annoying not to be honest, to put up and everything. Um, Heather said, hi, Savannah. Let's hi, start hey. Jay said, hey. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, whew, okay. I'm like calming down. <laughs> it's um, So if, if you saw an announcement about the show last week, you might have seen a different name. Um, we had like some last minute scheduling changes and both Savannah and Kaylin agreed to be on the show yesterday. So, um, yeah. So thank them so much for, uh, you know, being flexible and, and being so, uh, willing to just kind of like jump in. I'm really happy that we pulled it out. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thank you for coming. 
Um, so the viewer poll for today, if you haven't already um, voted in it, I'm going to drop the link in the discussion and you can go ahead and vote in it. And the question is, do you pay attention to celebrity book club picks? And that was inspired by um, one of our news items today. So um, maybe we should just go ahead and jump into news items. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off with some not so great news. Um, June bookstore sales fell over 35% compared to a year ago, which is improvement over May when sale when May sales fell nearly 60%. So it looks like maybe it's starting to recover, but not as quickly, obviously, as bookstore owners would hope. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting in June, the NPD group, and that's a group that puts out like a presentation on uh, publishing stats every single year, but they had from the stats that they had from, I don't know, February to like May at that point, they had broken down the percentage of what sort of books people were buying. And it was just really fascinating to see. Obviously, you had a lot of people buying uh, like youth nonfiction, right? Mm -hmm. Because they had to basically be their kids' teachers at home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a lot of like cool drinks and like fancy salads and, you know, things starting out. And then they quickly moved to like, motivational learning and <laughs> how to stay sane. Um, so that was really fascinating. I It'll be interesting to see, you know, maybe in fall, if they do another like special timing, what those percentages are of what mm -hmm. people are buying. Yeah. Um, so uh, long story short, buy from your local bookstore. Though, like, as long as it's a good one. <laughs> I will say that. There are some, there are some indie bookstores that are um, maybe not the best. Um, but yeah, just uh, speaking from experience. Um, <laughs> uh, you have some interesting, exciting news, some books that are doing well. <laughs> yeah, on the flip side of that, uh, the book that just might save all indie bookstores is the highly anticipated Midnight Sun by Stephanie Myers, which is the latest book in the Twilight Saga. Uh, it sold more than one million copies in its first week, which I think is not like super unexpected. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's still like pretty, pretty crazy. The pre-orders for the book were the highest of any book in Hach in Hachette's history. Yeah. Um, and the release, you know, it's showing that we do have these like big books, right? We have big sales that are still coming out despite the pandemic. Uh, which is very exciting, you know, working obviously on the industry side, it's good to see. I think this summer has actually been like a lot more active than people would have thought with sales. Um, so good to see that they're still shelling out dollars. Um, Victoria had a question. How does library impact sales? Did they buy during the shelter in place orders or were library book purchases halted? I can say at my library and I've seen a lot of chatter from other libraries, um, that they were not ordering books for months um, because they had no one on site to receive them. Um, and But they did increase their digital purchases because people were checking out digital um, books more. So I don't know like where that balances out, if it's like a one-for-one, one, probably not. But um, yeah, bookstore sales were definitely down for a couple. I mean, uh, library sales were down for a couple of months. Uh, yeah, so, but 
we talk about like some of the books that are coming out now, some of the debuts that aren't necessarily like these big blockbuster books. Um, they're having trouble promoting their book. They're having trouble sale- selling their books. But then the big books like this one, and they mentioned like the last two big political books that came out aren't struggling at all and are selling exactly as much as expected. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's not particularly new, right? Uh, unfortunately. And it's like from the agent side, it's like a pretty big, I don't want to say fight, uh, but it's a huge part of negotiations, right? Uh, the whole, you know, hashtag publishing paid me conversation that we were having a couple months ago was very enlightening to a lot of authors, right? But also to agents, like we don't, unless you've done deals with editors previously, like you don't really know what those deals look like uh, unless you're talking about that within your agency. And it's, I'm hoping that the conversation will continue and that people will, you know, be more upfront about saying like, we know that you have X amount of money that you can pay out in advance. And, you know, we want that to be more equitable across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have several friends who debuted during all of this and it's tough because, um, if they're disappointed in their sales, they don't know if they would have been disappointed otherwise, or if it's because of the pandemic. And so it's just, I'm sure it's like really painful trying to figure out, you know, what you could have done or if you could have done, or if you had delayed your book would have been different, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I feel like it's hard to just in the whole, I mean, across the board, but especially with Kidlet, right. Where so much of it is going into libraries and schools and bookstores too, where you obviously aren't having that. And we're trying to do virtual communication and replicate what that relationship might be like with those different people. But it's not going to be the same, right? You're not physically there in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's tough. That's the hard thing to lose out on. Lodestar is using Midnight Sun as his mouse pad right now. <laughs> <Fashionable. laughs> All right. Um, so moving on, sorry, there's a bug in here. Um, Amazon last week revealed that it will start streaming podcasts on Amazon music and audible but had said in the terms and conditions that, quote, your content may not include advertising or messages that disparage or are directed against Amazon or any service. Um, After a quick and fierce backlash, they quietly removed the condition from the terms. When I saw this term and condition, by the way, my first thought was like, well, there goes any publishing podcast. Uh, yep, it is so quintessentially Amazon to try and do that, that like, they're, yeah. they're making it too easy for people to <laughs> talk about them. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, what, no, we're not this evil, or evil, horrible company, but you can't say bad things about us or we won't distribute your work. <laughs> we're going to make sure you don't call us evil and bad. I know. <laughs> um, cause even, even the publishing podcasts I listen to that are very Amazon friendly, they still have some criticism of Amazon because you can't, you can't especially be a self-published author and, and have 100% positive opinions about Amazon, you know? Oh yeah. I just think, I mean, if you're, even if you're a reader, right. You look at how much books are selling for on Amazon and from the consumer side, that might be pretty nice, right? It's nice to pay $8 for something instead of 24, but I think it's pretty impossible not to do the mental math to see how that's affecting authors. Um, authors yeah. 
spur you to buy their books elsewhere, right? From indie bookstores. Uh, obviously, if if eight dollars is the amount that you can spend on a book, that's fantastic. We want readers just across the board, um, but they're not super. I don't think that Amazon considers writing as an art like bookstores do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, because my my literal first first thought though was print run podcast. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, they can't go on. There. Nope. Um, nope. Maybe, maybe they will for, now. I, for those of you who don't know, say what? I just said speaking of Minneapolis, and then I said which is where I yeah. live. I guess we didn't talk about that. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. they live in Minneapolis too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in more positive, I feel like we're just going, you're doing all the bad news and I'm doing all the good news. This is great. Yeah, I'm used to uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Good news again, uh, you know, talking about YA books, once again, sticking with that. Uh, so Leah Johnson's You Should See Me in a Crown was chosen for Reese Witherspoon's book club. It was the first young adult pick of the club. So now it will uh, feature a YA selection every month, which I think is fantastic for hundred reasons. I'm obviously extremely biased, uh, but You Should See Me in a Crown is an incredible book. So it's just, yeah, big sales, right? Big sales coming people's mm -hmm. way, which is what we like to see. And uh, it's just such a joyful book, right? Which I think that a lot of us need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this inspired the the poll of the week. So we'll probably talk about that at the end of that episode. Um, but uh, it's when, it, when a, a book club like this um, chooses a book that's, I mean, it means a lot of things for the author, right? Like financially. And, um, but then I feel like none of my like writing friends really care about celebrity book club selections. Like they care, but they don't care. It doesn't influence what they read, you know, like some people do. So we'll talk about that more later, but, um, yeah, it was really good. And, uh, she's going to be adding, a YA pick every month in addition to an adult pick. So uh, I always love when, how do I say it? When people uh, validate young adult, <laughs> people in powerful positions validate young adult. Yeah, as two grown women who uh, <laughs> work in the young adult sphere. I yeah. Like, now some of my adult friends might be like, yeah, I did read that book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, Heather said you should see me in a crown was a diversity and lit book clubs pick for September. Cool. All right. So hash, is it hashette or hash? I say hashette. Hashette. Which I think yeah. is right. Caitlin's saying, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized, have I been saying that wrong my whole life? Anyway, um, hashette book group announced that they will not require employees who are able to work remotely to come into the office, quote, for the foreseeable future. They will give employees at least six weeks notice when they'll need to return. And a lot of publishers are are making similar announcements right now, but the reason why I thought this one was notable was the six weeks notice. Um, because I, I know some employers, I'm not going to name names, they're like, you can work from home, but we might call you in tomorrow. So, like, don't get comfortable kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, but I like this because it allows people to, like, plan their lives, you know? <laughs> like, um, especially parents. 
you know, six, six weeks should be enough time for them to arrange whatever they need to arrange. Um, yeah. And for people who left, mm-hmm. yeah. right? a lot of these people are living in New York. Uh, a lot of people, when they realized they wouldn't have to come into work, left to stay with their parents or stay with friends where, you know, yeah. living is generally less expensive. Uh, yeah, this has been a trend. I think McMillan was the first of the big five to make that call. Maybe like six weeks ago, even now. Um, and it's, I think just generally like very good to see. I know I had editor friends who were pretty stressed out about the idea of like having to fly back to New York, um, you know, and start working. And I think the hard thing too is when you're in a big city, but New York especially, uh, you can do all the due diligence like within your headquarters, but people are still taking public transportation, mm-hmm. right? And, so, and you can't control that. And so that's just like an added stress uh, that editors who already are pretty stressed out, I think generally because they work so much, just like an added stress to their life that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, they did say, if you read the, oh, this is a good time to mention all the, um, news items that we're talking about. If you haven't watched the show before, they'll be in the description right after the show ends. Um, so I, I go ahead and post the link so you can read more about each of the items if you want. Um, but they did say in the article that, um, they do have their office offices open if people need to work in the office. So basically if you decide that you want to come into the office, they'll, they'll keep it open, but they're looking at 10 to 15% capacity. Um, which is interesting. Cause I just, we, we had an author event, the library on Thursday, and he was talking about, he's a university professor um, and his wife, I'm not sure what she does. She's a teacher maybe. Or a psychiatrist when I I'm confusing conversations now, but, <laughs> um, and then he has kids. And so everyone is just like in the house at the same time. And he's having trouble writing because it's just like chaos basically. And so what he started doing because he has the, the schedule flexibility is he will stay up late and sleep in in the morning. And so late at night after everyone's gone to sleep is his writing time. So I can imagine some people are in a situation where it's very difficult for them to get work done at home. Yeah, I think the option to have a space to go into is extremely helpful. Uh, I don't have kids, right? I live with one other person. I live with my partner and it's, and we have two floors and it's still hard for us, right? Uh, So I can't really even imagine having like miniature versions of myself running. So it's, yeah, it's nice to have that option, but good to not feel compelled to Mm -hmm. take it. Yeah. Um, For me, it's been just because I work a different job full time and then I come home and write or well, I used to come home and write. Now it's all happening in the same space. And so it just feels like I'm sitting in the same place working for 16 hours, you know, Um, which I, I was still working that much before. It was just like, there was not that separation you know oh yeah no I'm doing everything I work a part-time job at the loft literary center also and the loft is in downtown Minneapolis which is like I don't know a 15 minute bike ride from me yeah. uh, and so I'm working that and agenting and it's like yep just like at this desk like where you see me right now is where everything happens yeah <laughs> and I don't think when things started out, I don't think I recognized like how much of an effect that was having on me. Just like 
mentally, motivationally. Yeah. I found I was working like way, way later, um, and not having like the break of physically moving space. And so I try and be better about it. Like I try and get out and like take a walk at specific times, but it's really hard. Like it's really hard to convince yourself to stop when everything's just right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I try to take walks in the driveway. I live in, in the country. Um, so my long walks, like my exercise walks, I have to take at a certain time because if I take them too early, it's too hot. (laughs) And if I take them too late, there's no (laughs) streetlights. So very dark. So like um, mine's dictated by the sun. (laughs) That's nice though. All right. Um, Okay. On to our next topic. So Texas Monthly did a great feature on legendary romance editor and RWH, Romance Writer of America's founder, Vivian Stevens, or Stephens, I'm not actually sure. Uh, discussing how the current issues causing chaos and change in RWA have been a problem since the very beginning. Uh, So I suppose for those of you who don't know what was going on, uh, RWA had some pretty, some pretty intensely negative stuff happen within them, right? Uh, Just, they had, you know, specific writers calling out racism of other writers and the writers who were calling it out were facing just like incredible backlash, right? I mean, everything from like saying that you can't be part of the organization um, to, you know, the Twitter mob coming after them. And when this happened, it very quickly, I think people in Romancelandia knew this already, but for the rest of publishing, it very quickly came to a head that like these problems were not new. Like these were things that have been going on for a long time, um, which... I is, I mean, horrible, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> yeah. there's no way to say it without it sounding understated. Um, but people were just feeling like very, like a lot of the white writers could be sort of predatory of their identities, right? And could be as stereotypical as they want and could be as like subtly or sort of blatantly racist in their writing as they want. And that RWA was not providing a platform for them to be called out on it. Um, and then when they were called out on it, you know, it was sort of the, the classic like white woman tears uh, to punish the people who are calling them out. So that all just like, who fell apart this spring. Yeah. This spring. I feel like so much has happened in 2020 that I can't. That happened, it happened around Christmas. Cause I, okay. cause we, we discussed okay. it in, uh, in length at length on the show. So if you want to go back and watch the episode, if you're not sure what happened, um, because I specifically remember thinking, oh, there's not going to be a lot of publishing news around this time. And then. <laughs> then that happened. Um, oh, Caitlin. I think Caitlin's computer froze and then she came back in. So. <laughs> All right. I was like, why is there two of her? Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, I definitely recommend if you're if you're involved in the romance industry at all um, to go read the article later tonight because um, it's really interesting. Um, the uh, so basically this year they they got rid of their awards called the Ritas and they they got they created new awards called the Vivian, which is named after her. And um, when they called her, she was really surprised because she started the organization, but she's basically been forced out of it for a long time or she was forced out a long time ago. Um, 
And the the writer, not not Vivian herself, but the writer of the article likened it to when um, an ex calls to trying to make amends. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, what if your ex called and was like, I named my dog after you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it it because it's she has obviously mixed feelings about it, you know. So um, I just thought it was a really good article, and I wanted to draw attention to it. All right, our last piece of news on September first, Netflix is launching a new series called Bookmarks, celebrating Black voices. It will feature twelve five-minute episodes with Black celebrities and artists reading children's books by Black authors aloud. Um. I just, I thought this was cool because I know a lot of people are going back to school. <laughs> like some people are doing homeschool thing. Um, so this would, I think this is a cool uh, opportunity for, especially people who have their kids at home to introduce some and get like five minutes a piece, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, as you know, someone who represents picture books too. I, it's been interesting for pandemic. Um, I think sort of from the beginning, there have been like these like celebrity uh, read alouds, which have been really fun, right? You can find them on, I don't know, YouTube and Instagram live. And very yeah. You know, that I think was serving that same purpose. Like here is like the iPad, here's the phone, here's the laptop, you know, watch this celebrity use funny voices and read a book aloud. But it's just really nice to see that come to such a like a platform that has mm-hmm. such a following, right? Um, I think picture books too are similar to YA, like a literary form that unless you have small kids, you're probably not reading picture books, which that's totally fine. I wouldn't just normally read them. <laughs> uh, but really good work is being done in picture books. And I'd say especially in the past five years, um, just really incredible, inspiring stories and like teaching kids the base level of empathy that you wish fellow adults would have, but they don't. Um, yeah, I just, working working in picture books is very joyful for me. I represent a lot of really political books, right? Like I represent picture books that are about protests, picture books that are about, um, you know, being like a first generation immigrant. And I, I really believe that like that is how kids start to become kind and empathetic, like mm-hmm. citizens of a society. Um, and yeah. it's, just, it's like pretty wonderful to see. And you get illustrators and that's always very fun. Yeah. And um, I don't like, I don't have kids, but my nieces, um, they're just constant, like Netflix is just like always on the TV. And so I, that's why I think Netflix is a great opportunity for this because kids are spending a lot of time on their, like my parents, my parents, my sister has it set up. So they have like their kids account. So it only shows them like kids friendly content, you know? And, and um, so they don't have to go somewhere. They don't have to go to YouTube or they don't have to go to Facebook or whatever to get it. They can get it right where they already are. <laughs> yeah. I feel like after Disney was like, Nope, we're going to take all of our content onto our own streaming platform. Netflix was like, fine. <laughs> we're just going to make our own very young children content then yeah and they have a lot of shows that my niece loves so um we by the way so caitlin and i have been doing this writer's conference today maybe i should wait until bring caitlin to say this but um we've been doing this writer's conference today and so i had three panels i think she had more 
Um, and then, so I've been at my sister's house. So anyone who hasn't watched it before, I broadcast from my sister's house because she has way better internet than where I live. Um, and so I came this morning for the conference and then have just stayed all day. And every time when I wasn't on a panel, uh, we've been watching Frozen and Frozen 2 on repeat. It's been on like four times today. <laughs> okay, yeah, but that little lizard in Frozen 2 is so cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember its name right now. Um, I like, and I love Lost in the Woods. That's like my favorite part. <laughs> and so every time my niece like comes to get me to make sure I don't miss it. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to bring on Caitlin now. So after receiving a BA in writing, literature, and publishing from Emerson College, Caitlin refused to leave the concept of nightly homework behind. A literary agent for Bell Castro Literary Agency, she is also a freelance editor at her own company, Kay Johnson Editorial. Caitlin started her literary journey as a copy editor for academic publisher Code Mantra, a YA editor for Accent Press, and a conference assistant for Grub Street Boston. So please welcome to the show, Caitlin. Oop. There we go. Can I just say, Sarah and I went and saw Frozen 2 in theaters together. We did? <laughs> That's why I did. said I should wait for you. <laughs> and Lost in the Woods was freaking hilarious in theater. I loved it so much. <laughs> I, I, I just, because my I used to babysit this kid who literally would play Tangled nonstop. And luckily, I love Tangled. And I knew all the words. And she'd get so angry that I could sing all of Rapunzel's part. <laughs> There, oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember that scene, the Lost in the Woods scene. I was just like grinning like a child. I was like, this is like, what is this? Um, yeah. Uh, and so my nieces are five in about 19, 20 months. And the, the youngest one sings all the songs, but like not with words. <laughs> but like she knows, she knows the cues and everything, you know? So, oh, uh, Lodestar said Jay and him saw Frozen 2 together, too. Bloody <laughs> Yeah. Um, it was, like, one of the last movies I saw in theaters. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, so welcome, Caitlin, to the show. Thank you for um, joining us. I When I realized very late Thursday night that I was going to have to get someone else, I was like, who can I text? And <laughs> yeah, like, let's go. I texted like, Kayla. Like, who can I send a message to in a Slack channel? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who are my connections? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for coming on, especially because we've, we've both been doing stuff all day today. So it's been a day. <laughs> it's been a good day, though. It's been, it's nice to actually have like people see me today since the camera's just been weird all day. Oh yeah, yeah. I got gussied up for something at least. They they required us to use their background in Zoom, but um, some I guess video processors can't do the background without a green screen. And uh, Caitlin's the lucky lucky one. <laughs> Did not like me. I was see through. You could like like holes for I. I was a wraith. <laughs> she looked like a ghost. <laughs> it was great. It was great. For three panels, that was what I looked like. So it's nice to, you know, have everything on. I said I did this spirit 
um, uh, and I part <laughs> in the parking lot after and scared a family. It's I just think that's hilarious because that's how my youngest niece requests that that movie be played as she starts singing those notes. Oh, <laughs> sorry, he's mad that I have been like neglecting him all day for work. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, I have the first question for you. So you've done a couple different things in publishing, Caitlin. Um, how did you come into agenting? So I did agenting because I did an internship first because I originally wanted to be an editor. I wanted to, you know, be in my little cubicle at a publishing house and just do my little editing and pick the stories I loved. And that was that. And then I realized that's really unrealistic especially when you're first starting out, like right out of college and stuff. Uh, so I was working with Grub Street Boston doing their conference Muse in the Marketplace, which a bit, by the way is amazing. And I realized that I really liked the talking to the agents and getting to know what they were doing with their jobs. And I loved the split editing, but also finding stories and doing all of this kind of stuff and advocating. So I interned with an agency first and realized I really liked it and I really wanted to do it and it just kind of stuck after that and I moved up from um, intern to apprentice to full agent and now I'm with Book Bell Capital and have a list and a few sales and it's just awesome I just love that part of the job cool <laughs> Jessica she brought a special guest <laughs> uh, so speaking of you know publishing and working as an agent how have you seen the industry as a whole like coping and responding to the pandemic? What's changed from February to now? Yeah, it's been, I think communication has been a little hit and miss just because so much is shifting at publishing houses that editors are like kind of fighting a battle on both fronts. But amazingly, like acquisitions are still happening. I hated seeing how many layoffs happen in publishing houses, unfortunately. Um, but a, a lot of them landed on their feet and found new homes, which was fantastic. But I think it it was a better scenario than I had anticipated. I think I had experienced, I thought we were going to experience the worst. I thought there was going to be like this big black hole of no sales and only like really reputable authors who had earned out their advances in like a week were all going to be selling. And that's not true at all. Debuts were really in demand. Editors have been very excited to get new things. Diversity has been booming. Um, the only thing is that sales right now are still questionable because we still aren't quite sure how those numbers are going to be laying out or when they're going to climb. So I think right now the working from home thing is saving us. I think that, okay, you are going over there. Um, <laughs> I think the work from home scenario has been helping a lot because the editors and agents, our jobs can be done that way. Like other departments, development and all that for publishing houses, yeah, they're probably gonna have to go in and do a bunch of stuff. But the acquisitions factor is still chugging along just because it can be a multifaceted or a multi-area. This is nine, 10 o'clock. It can be done anywhere. Um, so it's still moving and it's still a lot of relationships being formed. So I, and I think that we've all embraced the Zoom coffee break or coffee chat with editors now where they're like hey i don't have to like pay money to buy you coffee because that's like the thing when people think they're going to be an agent they're like oh editors are going to wine and dine me which is totally not true they may once in a while take you out for coffee if you're lucky and live in new york um 
And so I think editors are kind of happy about the arrangement there too, because they're like, no one's going to assume I pay for lunch when we go out or anything. We just all wear PJs and we we drink our coffee <laughs> get on Zoom and we can still figure out where their business is, what they're looking for, what's been doing well and what they're maybe taking the back step on. Um, so I think it's actually been adapting pretty well. Um, that was a really long answer, but there you go. Yeah, normally, I think you could ask most people in publishing, normally August is like really, really quiet. People are gearing up for fall, both on the agent and the editor side. And this August has not been quiet. Uh, there's been a ton of sales happening. You know, if you look at the publisher's marketplace, they post, you know, daily sales and it's like- There's no flow down this summer. There's just not gonna be- People are buying stuff. Yeah, I've talked to a few editors too and asked how it went about that specifically. and. One of the things that really stood out to me is editors talking about how within their acquisition meetings, they're like really recognizing that they need to find like incredible breakout talent. Like, yeah, relying on Stephanie Meyer is fantastic. Um, but if you don't have a Stephanie Meyer, like within your imprint, you have to find someone like it. And so people are really looking. They're saying like, who is going to be this next breakout? Uh, what authors that maybe did we have midlist before? Can we really push to being bestsellers? Uh, they're being like a little bit more, I don't know, taking more chances than maybe they otherwise would have because everything looks different. So it's like this big shakeup. It's like, yeah, you can, you can try something new. I'm like, I like, oh, the world is ending. It's fine. <laughs> Just do I it. That, I think the, that whole, like, is the world going to end or not thing? Like that unknown is different in publishing right now. It hasn't really been a factor for us since, you know, queries were sent by mail. So the publishing industry is kind of, I feel like they're all also trying to find their front runners for when this does bounce back because they want to be that house that brings back literature, maybe. Yeah. They want to be those big names. So when it does bounce back and people are starting to buy like normal, they want to be the name on everyone's lips. So they're really hunting right now. Cool. Yeah. I, mean, I like it. Insight, y'all. It's also like clashing right now though with like the summer break where people go on there, like even if they're staying home right now, they're on their out of office vacation. So now it's that clash of like, I want to buy your stuff, but I'm away for two weeks. Sorry. I did see someone, I can't remember who it was, a publisher had officially extended Summer Fridays. Um, yeah. The end of the uh, year or something. I saw, oh, I don't know. I think, I saw an agency recently. I think that's not, they're like ending Fridays early. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the publisher was, but I think I saw that too. Yeah. I can never remember anymore. Uh, <laughs> side note. So we, um, we do this like staff training at the library every year. Um, it usually happens on the Friday of Veterans Day. And so we're not, it's, you know, all the library employees in one building. So we're not doing that this year, obviously. <laughs> um, and they're doing it virtual and they're like, oh, we're going to spread it out over several days because who wants to sit in front of a computer for eight hours? And my entire team <laughs> who sits in front of a computer for eight hours every day is like, yeah, who wants to do that? Like, <laughs> way, to, way to dump on us right now, bud. Um, like, I was thinking oh. that when you two were talking about doing two jobs at home, because I was like sitting here and I was like, 
I'm, I'm, mm, that's my every day. <laughs> I get full time work at home all the time, and I do yeah. freelance editing usually and emails in the morning till like maybe one o'clock ish, and then I do agency work until you know I'm either done or burnt out. So like you guys were talking, and I was like, this sounds familiar. Yeah, it's. I don't even have a good office chair. That's my main problem. Is like. I have a dining room table chair. Yeah. <laughs> I have a home goods chair that looked really cool and I had it home and realized it's not, not really great for this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So related, what trends are you kind of seeing in your corner of the publishing industry? Um, usually when we talk about trends, we talk about genre. So genre, but also like anything else. Are you seeing any kind of like change or trend? <laughs> He's climbing over, sorry. Um, I've been seeing a lot of editors actually asking for more thriller mysteries lately. Um, and I don't know if it's like, because pandemic, you know, all of our brains are just tired of everything. So maybe we need to jumpstart and like puzzle things out. Like we want to sit down for a puzzle now. Um, and obviously fantasy, because we want that escapism. Um, we just... We want to get away, but we want certain elements that still adhere to the real world. We want to be grounded a little bit. And fantasy just always does that because usually either the political sphere or the conflict um, in the world, it's getting a here kid back to what we're going through right now. So, and obviously the only thing I'm here seeing of like, don't send us is virus or pandemic or sickness plague stuff. Um, that's the one thing that they're just like, please don't, just don't. Yeah. No. Yeah, but other, I feel like at least in the YA middle grade world, other types of horror people really, really want right now. Yeah. Which horror, like, I love. Horror is getting big. Middle grade horror is like peak right now. They want it. Like I'm looking for it. I still can't find the right one. Yeah, I'm looking but for that like, series. Yes. So if you have it out there, listeners, <laughs> send it to me and not Caitlin. <laughs> wow. All the creepy dolls, though. I'm such a scaredy cat. I might be able to read middle grade horror. That might be below my threshold. Yeah, like, <laughs> because you don't want gory with middle grade horror. You, yeah. you want like the kind of chill scare factor, but you don't want it to be like, I'm going to give you nightmares all the time. Though that is being asked for as well. So I don't know. Yeah, I feel like Goosebumps, I mean, you look at the, like, original covers of a lot of Goosebumps books, and, like, they're really creepy. Yeah. That Headless Boy one, whatever, I had, I definitely had nightmares for, like, a month after I read that one. That was the only one I physically remember. Is it, which one has, the cover is, like, the marionette crawling through the bedroom window? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it, but I, I, like, really want it to be sub to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Totally. Marionettes are creepy as. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So it's funny that you mentioned the pandemic because it's been, I've been like kind of watching people, especially people, authors specifically, who are writing contemporary right now. They're struggling with this like concept of if, if I don't mention the pandemic at all, then it's not contemporary then it's like an alternate timeline. But I don't want to mention the pandemic because we don't know what's going to happen. And so it feels like everybody's just kind of like sticking their fingers in their ears and like <laughs> go plowing along anyway. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard to say what writers should be doing right now because this is a pivotal part in history. But I feel like if your book's not about that part in history, we're not looking for you to be talking about it or putting it in your world building. Yeah. It's hard because, again, like you said, we don't know what's going to happen. We, yeah. we just don't know if we're going to be, you know, wearing masks for the next 10 years um, just to be paranoid all the time. Or if it's going to get a vaccine and we're all going to go back to normal. And then if normal is ever going to be a thing again, like we just don't know. So I tell writers, just write as you're writing. Just, yeah. just do what you do. And if you have to change it in the future, hey, we'll go back and change it. Yeah, I'm writing a contemporary romance. It's, it's set in a small town in Texas. And um, I put like a throwaway line in there that like part of the reason why the one of the main characters moved was because th her parents' jobs changed after the pandemic. Um, and one of my crit partners is like, oh, that's nice. And I was like, I, I was like that's it. That's literally the only thing I'm going to mention the whole time. My because they're, they're, they're in a small town in Texas. So, I mean, they're just pretending like this pandemic doesn't exist anyway. So, <laughs> like... It's fair. If you're in a small town, half the time they're all just like, we would know when someone's sick. Yeah. I live in a small town now and it's like, you wouldn't know there's anything happening. <laughs> I feel like this is really the time for people who like always want to set YA in a certain year, right? And yeah. they're always like, like, don't set it in a certain year so it does longevity. But it's like, no, you can, you can set it in like... It's set in January of 2020 because... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, that is super interesting. I actually had not thought of that, of what do, what do contemporary books look like, right? Because the kids will like be, they'll be in school, they'll be in high school or middle school, uh, if you're looking at like the kid-led side of it. And I think that's gonna, I think no matter what, right, schools are gonna have different, they're gonna be different. We're gonna have different sort of sickness protocols and, you know, whatever it may be. So if your book debuts in 2021 which means it will be buying right now um yeah i think about what how you write a romance right now because like if it's a first date no mm -hmm. one's going in person we're just like oh, <laughs> <"What's up?" laughs> like all through uh, like the chat function of different yeah things. or like you meet up and you exchange covid results yeah <laughs> Oh. Be like, all right, I'm gonna move my mask now. Oh, no. I'm positive, so I'm gonna go. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I tweeted a couple weeks ago about like, oh, if you have a contemporary that's coming out now that's set in present day, congrats, you're now a spec fic writer because it's all alternate <laughs> reality. Hi, <laughs> um, you just jumped off me. Though that happened, like I was reading a, a thriller the other day and it was like present day, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, present day. And then the um, near the end, it mentions like how many people are wearing Google Glass. And I was like, oh no, this is 2014. <laughs> like this is not present day. <laughs> what? That confused me. I was like, wait a second. I was like, you can pinpoint, you know, the, the like three months that everyone was wearing Google Glass. <laughs> yep. I was not one of them. <laughs> no, no. Just generally never in my life have I had like that sort of money to throw around. Yeah. And even if I did, that's not what I would have bought. Well, it was like at a, it was like a tech, a group, a group of like tech people. So oh, yeah, okay. it made, it made more sense. Yeah. But yeah, uh, okay. still like very dated. Like I could. <laughs> yeah. 
That's like playing in something and being like, oh, this is present. Like you can pinpoint that. (laughs) I Um, just finished listening to uh, the podcast Blackout uh, that has Rami Malek in it. I think he's mm. he's not the main producer, but he's one of the co-producers and he voices one of the characters. And it started in March and it's about like a nationwide blackout and what happens. And I was so curious the entire time I was listening. I was like, when did they start writing and producing this? Because it had to have been sometime last year, right? <laughs> and so it's like, somebody made the decision. He was like, yeah, let's do it anyway. Right? Let's yeah. do it anyway. It's similar. Uh, yeah. Victoria said romance could work because it's like modern Jane Austen, the longing chapter after chapter, lots of good tension. <laughs> you can't have a chaper. Like back then you couldn't, you had to have a chaperone all the time. Now it's like you have to have t- un- like negative results. You can't touch each other. <laughs> Six feet out across the room. <laughs> all right, let's, let's move on. <laughs> that was fun. My question. brain just flashed to one of those grand dining halls where like, the character sits and they're like, this, this is far too long for both of us. And I'm like, not anymore. Yeah. Two people at the head of the table. Super far apart. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, switching gears. Uh, I actually particularly like this question because I'll give my little thoughts on it after you speak. Um, but talking about revise and resubmits. So under what circumstances would you request one? versus, you know, going ahead and scheduling the call and taking on the author, knowing that big edits needed to be made. Yeah. So I'm much pickier now. Like when I first started agenting, um, I had a list, I think of like six writers and four of them were R&Rs. Um, and it worked out great because they did a really great job. Now I'm a little less likely because I have a, li- a bigger list of agents. Or yes, I have a list of agents. Um, I have a bigger list of clients, so I have a lot more work to do. So if I take on an intensive edit, it has to be something phenomenal. If um if I really want to take that person on and work on it with them for for revise and resubmit now, I give like light ones and heavy ones. Light ones, I'm just like, here's a little bit of feedback. And, you know, if you fix it up, you know, I'll take another look. Or there's ones that I'm like, here's like a full paragraph of feedback. Here's some stuff. And those are the ones really where I'm just like, I really, really love it, but I can't pull the trigger. And usually that's because I absolutely find the concept super, super, not commercial, but something that I've been dying to see. And it's just not quite there yet. And I mean, there's some, I've obviously done that and I was stupid and shouldn't have done that. Um, like one of the recent sales, who was it? I think Caitlin Abbott just, just published with this author. Um, and it was one that I gave an R&R to. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I saw the publication announcement and it was like, I think it was a preempt. And I was like, oh, I hate you right now. <laughs> I signed it. Cause it was phenomenal. It just wasn't like there yet. And I had like a bunch of stuff on my plate for the next month. So I was like, I'm going to give an R and R. I'm not going to take it on right now. And clearly I was done. So it really depends on what is on the to-do list for that time. I'm reading it as well. Um, I'm more likely now to extend some feedback and say, I'll, I'll look at it again. If you like touch it up or do some of this feedback, 
I don't give hard R&Rs anymore. Um, not very often anyway. Um, apparently there's a writer in the feed right now who said I, I did them in R&R. So yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, at least I'm giving you something to, hi, are you going to take this over? Thank you. Um, <laughs> at least I give them something to go off with and work on it. If they don't sing it back, bring it back to me. At least they've, you know, gotten some feedback they can work with. But I try not to give hard ones anymore just because I don't know that I can commit to heavy editing or having the time by the time they get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, I think, two of my clients were R&Rs, like pretty big R&Rs. Um, when I was starting out, right, my, my first client who I signed, I loved her book obviously uh, but it needed a lot of work and we talked about that on the phone and I was like I'm willing to do this if you're willing to do this right she was my only client and I had so much more time and it took us a while right I mean that was back in 2018 and we just sent her book out um cut a month ago six weeks ago maybe and so it took and part of that was like her job too um she needed a longer time to turn around for her dead deadlines but like they're pretty substantial. And part of that's like extremely gratifying to be able to do as an agent to work as like a writing coach as well. But now, yeah, I mean, I have 13 clients and I don't have like time to do that. I will say I do a ton of R&Rs for picture books. Like I just, it's so much simpler to give feedback, right? You give like four or five pretty detailed bullet points. And then you're like, this is, this is what happened. Yeah, I can see that definitely. I mean, I feel like I do that with middle grade as well because you can read a middle grade, middle grade, uh, pretty quickly. So I can totally see sending out a bunch of them for pub, uh, picture books and be like, "Your concept is awesome." So here's yeah. what you gotta do. Like, I'm pretty sure I just, yeah, in just in this past week, requested <laughs> two different RNRs for picture books. Um, yeah, and I think too because with. With shorter works, obviously, it's a lot easier to figure out like what's not working, right? When you're looking at a YA, you're looking at an adult length work. It's like there's a lot. Know, this could have fallen off the page at any point, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a picture book, you're like, all right, we've got 400 words. <laughs> this out. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm much, much more likely to do R and now than I am to take someone on and say like, I love this, but like you've got to change the whole POV. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I I have noticed this pattern where it's uh, like the newer agents seem more likely to take on a client that they think needs a lot of work before they can go out and sub. And I was just talking a couple weeks ago to um, uh, a very well established agent who um, you know has rockstar clients and is very busy and everything. And they told me that um, they pretty much won't take on a manuscript unless they think it's like almost ready to go out and sub as it is. Um, and that's just because they have less time, right? <laughs> like, I think it depends on the call too. Cause like, yeah. if, if I talk to the writer and they, I say, okay, what other things do you write? What other things are your, in your list right now? Or maybe you're starting on one already. And you can tell from the book you've already read that they have a lot of talent and they have a lot of potential. And then they give you like a couple pitches and you're just like, these are fantastic. Then sometimes my brain goes a little bit into the, okay, I could offer and work on this because I know at least the next one's coming up. Even if this one doesn't sell, I know we've got potential coming in the line. Cause I know like VR is one of my clients. And when I requested his front through DV pit, 
it was an R&R and then he did the R&R and I was like dreaming of his book and that book didn't sell. Um, we're still gonna go back and work on it because it's still amazing. Um, and he has so many ideas for it, but like that one didn't sell. So he did, he sent me all these pitches of what he wanted to do. And I pointed to one, I was like, that one, that's the one to do. And that's the one he sold to Macmillan. So like, you can tell when the writer has this way of themselves or how they can work and their talent and their voice. You can kind of tell when, even if you put a lot of work into them right now, you know, down the road, it's going to be something great. Yeah. I mean, that happened with me with one of my authors who I took on an R&R, &R, the picture book that he subbed to me, we went back and forth on it a couple of times. And the book that we ended up going out on subverse was a completely different book. And with picture books, obviously it's easier, right? You have a shorter turnaround time, but I ask people in their submission, like when they submit to me, because I use Query Manager, I ask them what other books it is that they're working on. And that's one of the reasons I want to know, right? Is if I think a project has really good potential and then I read it and I'm like, I don't know, it's not really quite there. Like clearly you have a lot of talent, but for whatever reason, this project probably isn't going to be a huge commercial success, but then like their next project, especially if there's someone who writes YA and their next project's middle grade, right? Because YA is kind of struggling right now is like, oh yeah, you have the talent and you know, you like your vision for your whole career is matching up with with what my vision is for it too yeah yeah I, it's funny you mentioned ya to middle grade and i see a lot of people doing that but lately just especially in the last two months i've seen a lot of um kind of like midlist ya authors selling rom-coms adult rom-coms rom-coms got huge in demand yeah. because we still want that like humor in our lives because we don't have any humor i know i just we watched yeah. princess diaries one and two this weekend so trust me i know <laughs> um yeah so that i definitely see that and i know i've been telling my authors that like middle grade is where it's at right now it's the next i've been saying this for two years but you know i called yeah. it two years ago that middle grade was gonna be yeah. and now it is me <laughs> um <laughs> but um <laughs> But yeah, I talked to my YARs and I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. Like, this is what's on demand. And they are very good at adapting. So like Savannah said, when you talk to them about their list of what they've got coming or ideas, to see the adaptability there is a really good, um, I'm bored this puppy. Well, <laughs> it's fine. It's a really good sign that they know the market a lot more than some writers do, um, which makes your job just, you know, a little bit easier. Looking yeah. At. Yeah. And knowing the market's kind of hard, right? Because the books that are publishing today were bought a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah. But just having that sense of like evergreen content, I like to think of it, of like these things are always going to be in demand. And then if you're on the phone with the publishing professional, right, and you're getting a really good vibe from them and you get along really well and, you know, the things that they have said to you previously lead you to believe that they're pretty knowledgeable about your job. And it's like very important that you trust them too. Right. So having, you know, having someone say like an agent say, yeah, this seems really great. You know, middle grade is like selling a lot better than YA now. So like what, how could we work with this project or how could we maybe go to your second project to try and, you know, try and write to what is more commercially appealing to people right now at this moment. Um, that's that's always a good sign on that call yeah i know we get um at pitch wars there's often we see manuscripts that 
um, kind of could go either way. Like you, you could make this into a middle grader. You can make this into a YA. And um, previously the swing has been up, but I wonder if that may change where you see more people trying what? to go. Do you know how huh? long I've been yelling into the ether for that? Like I had a client who wrote a young sounding YA. So because originally it had been Milgren, we realized it shouldn't be that. So we aged it up and we did the voice better. And they're like, this is just too youthful a YA. And I'm like, that's because it's like in that murky area, like 14 yeah. years old, none of you seem to want to touch. Mm -hmm. I'm like praying for the pendulum to go that way. Yeah. In other markets, just the UK, correct me if I'm wrong here, Caitlin, but it's the breakdowns are at middle grade and YA. It's like there's a break between in, in there that's like teen. Yeah. Right? There's so, like teen so much here. Yeah. And so it, it, there, there are just no books written for freshmen in high school. Like, sorry, we're all pretending that you don't exist. Uh, or they do it and they're like a weird, they're the teen who has like that weird, they're right on the age gap, like right on the edge there where their birthday came in. So they're 15 or 13 yeah. or something. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Which it's funny. Like when you really think about it, like freshman year of high school is, has, it's just so ripe with story potential, you know, like it's a terrifying time. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm hoping. We're hoping. Cross fingers, because UK, UK. I was like, you have what we need right now. <laughs> well, we surprise, surprise, are um, overtime. So I'm just gonna ask you the last question, Caitlin. Um, let me like, <laughs> it's no surprise that you know a show with Caitlin and I just met Savannah, but um, I feel like we're all in the same boat here. We could probably just talk for like hours, but. Um, I don't want to make people sit and watch the show for hours. <laughs> um, all right. So what is the most important book you've ever read and why? I don't know that I can say ever read because I feel like it changes every time like humanity changes. I feel like in, in the recent times, the most important book I felt I read was the thing about jellyfish for middle grade. Um, because it's a quiet book, which we all talk about how hard they are, hard to sell in general. But it, it talks about kids understanding grief or loss and like how they compartmentalize it in their heads or try to reason it. And especially with what's going on in the last few years, I feel like it was such an important read to get out to kids and to adults as well. Like it really hit me hard too about the, the ways you can twist something you know to make it not true or to be like in denial of something. So I thought the thing about jellyfish was absolutely amazing. And the message and the voice behind it was great. Um, I feel like Darius the Great is really good too. Like it wasn't my cup of tea. The voice wasn't quite me, but like just from reading part of it and understanding what the book's about, I thought it was amazing. And no surprise, surprise, I, I picked middle grades, but I think those are the two that like come to my mind first off. I have a whole class structured. It's a class about using like research in fiction and the whole class is structured around the thing about jellyfish because the way that she like uses facts in the book is like, it's her entire character arc. It's very masterfully done. So anyone it's listening has read it. Highly, highly recommend. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, well, Caitlin, thank you for um, joining us today. And we just have a couple of things we're going to do before we end the episode, but we'll say bye to Caitlin. Thank you for coming. You're and 
<laughs> oh, yes. And your special guest. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank Bye. You. Bye. All right. That was fun. Um, I... <laughs> Oh, Caitlin had it out. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I don't have an audiobook of the week this week. So I usually do an audiobook of the week, but I just don't because um it's it's been a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned I mentioned to someone it was just like a week of putting out fires. So um yeah. I've been listening to audiobooks, I just don't have one that um I finished that I wanted to talk about really. So um but we're going to talk about the viewer poll. Do, do you pay attention to celebrity book club picks? And I will say, and I give this caveat every time, but um, this this week I think it really needs it, is um, these are, the poll results are skewed by who follows me, right? And so the people who follow me are usually writers or industry professionals. So, we, we, <laughs> you know, you see a little bit maybe different results than you might would in a general public setting. So I'm going to pull up those results now. And uh, there they are coming up. Okay, cool. Um, so we have 69% said not at all. 25% said a little bit and 6% said yes. That kind of oh. surprised me though. It went away. Just thinking <laughs> about like, especially because so many uh, bookish right on all on all sides readers and writers and publishing professionals do follow you it was surprising to me that so many people said no right yeah. <laughs> i don't always read i will say that i have read quite a few of reese Witherspoon's book club books but i don't always read them because i'm usually reading like why i'm yeah. reading, but I at least like know what they are mm -hmm. i feel like i pay attention to them because I think it's just like an important piece of knowledge to have if you're paying attention to the industry, but I'm not going to go out and buy a book or read a book just because it makes it to one of the lists, you know? Um, and I think that's what probably the people who are saying a little bit were saying is that they know, but they, it's not like a huge decision factor for them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but I was surprised a lot of people just said no entirely because, but I also, I like, I, I try to know as much as I can about the industry. I'm kind of like obsessive about it. And so it's like, um, maybe I, I sometimes I have skewed ideas of what people know <laughs> about the industry, you know? Yeah, I guess I don't know, like to the average folks out there, I don't know where people get their industry news, right? Like I get Publishers Marketplace, like two different emails from them every single yeah. day. Um, <laughs> Me too. My Twitter feed is just like news and industry news uh, and like people who make me laugh. And that's, yeah, that's where I get everything. So I'm not really sure where all this shows up for other people. Yeah, <laughs> probably just Twitter for a lot of them. <laughs> All right, so um, the last thing we're going to do is the book slash reading quote of the week. And this one is from Mario Vargas. Losa, is that? Okay. I couldn't tell if that was an I. It looks different on my document than my um, other screen. Anyway, writers are the exorcists of their own demons. And I actually saw someone, a writer today, say something very similar to this. Um, 
So that's funny. Ironic. I So I chose all of these back like last October, by the way. So they're a surprise to me when they come up. I don't know what they're going to be. Feels very fitting right now. I know, right? Um, yeah. I remember the episode where we discussed the RWA debacle. It was like really, it was almost like I chose it for the episode. I was like, I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, cool. All right. Thank you, Savannah, so much for joining me today. Um, especially for, for just kind of jumping in and like, you, like we don't even know each other and you're like, yeah, sure. I'll come and <laughs> do yeah, this weird thing. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, thank you so much for, um, for inviting me and having me on the show. This is, it's always fun to talk about industry stuff. Right? Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. When I first created the show, I wanted, my goal was to, um, like, you know, the conversations that you have at con that just kind of like wander and like you talk about all different kinds of things and, and you learn things, you put, you learn more in those like side conversations at conferences than you do maybe in the workshops themselves. Um, oh, and, yeah. and so that's kind of what I wanted to replicate a little bit, but broadcast it when I, when I came up with the show. So, yeah, I feel like now, especially people like when I have these zoom lunches or coffee breaks with editors we'll be like 45 minutes in and realize that I haven't asked them what they're looking for at all like I haven't soft pitched a project at yeah. all <laughs> everyone just like wants to talk yeah uh, especially about publishing because that's all we ever talk about and yeah. see each other yeah all right thank you for joining me have a good night and um I'll see you on twitter <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right down there somewhere. And um, also tell your friends if you like the episode, too, and share it. Uh, this this show will live on this link forever. So you can um, share it with your friends, and they can watch the replay. Uh, don't forget to subscribe via email by the link in the description. And also, um, if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash pubtalklive for as little as $2 a month. And the social media for the guests, our guests are in the description. Um, and that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Please stay safe. Wash your hands. Um, wear a mask, you know, take care of yourselves and we'll see you. Oh, I want to mention the writers, um, the Wednesday writing live write-ins, virtual write-ins. Yeah. They're, um, continuing on at least through September. So make sure you keep tuning in for those every Wednesday at seven or in some cases, 8 PM Eastern. Um, and the guests for the next episode, which is the second Saturday in September, whatever day that is, it's going to be Juliana Brandt and Aaron and Trata Kelly. So they're going to be here in September. So I'm really excited for that one. So hopefully we'll see you back in three weeks since there's a fifth uh, Saturday in August and uh, have a good night, everyone. Bye.